This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Whenever you speak with someone who lives with MECFS or myalgic encephalomyelitis, also known as chronic fatigue syndrome, they'll tell you they want greater understanding, awareness, belief, support, and that they feel like people don't take their often life-debilitating illness seriously. It can take years for diagnosis and support is often limited. But, Nikhili, good morning. Then along came a thing long COVID and had all the same symptoms, all the life-changing effects. And now, I guess finally, a spotlight has been thrown on MECFS. And I just wonder, how can the two help each other? Could this be a good thing for those living with chronic fatigue syndrome? I certainly hope it is. Um, Look, to my great shame, I admit that I didn't understand CFS. I didn't sort of have a lot of respect, I think, for it. I was very confused by it when people first told me about it. Luckily, I had a friend who was willing to sit down very patiently, explain what it meant to their life. They shouldn't have to do that. They shouldn't have to take on the energy for me to understand what they're going through. I think Anything that can promote a bit of understanding and a bit of awareness has got to be a great thing, even under circumstances like this. Well, today is Chronic Fatigue Syndrome, MECFS Awareness Day. So we thought it was time to shine a spotlight on it. But I think so often, Nick, and you mentioned that you know, your friend had to sit down and talk to you about it. People think, well, you know, you're just a bit tired, aren't you? You know, we're, oh, all, we're all tired. We're, we're all, all tired. tired. You know, just get out and do a little bit of exercise. So there's not even what we need to learn as the community. There's what the, the medical practitioners need to learn and understand it as well. And I want to read you something. So Simone is a woman who I've spoken to in the past on this program when trying to learn about chronic fatigue syndrome. And I invited her to come back on with us and mm. have a chat today. And she sent us this message. I'd love to, but unfortunately, I won't be able to. Perhaps you could read my comment. I'd love to speak with you about my life with MECFS, but energy limitations restrict what I can do. I'm mostly bedbound and I live with my elderly parents who are my carers. And Sunday is Mother's Day. So if I spoke with you today, it would mean that I probably wouldn't be able to sit up in bed and have afternoon tea with my mum on her special day because I'd still be recovering. Thousands of Australians are like me, having to make difficult choices every day between the things we need or want to do and we miss out on so much. And that personal element of it, you know, understanding the profound impact that something like MECFS is going to have on someone's life, you just, it's been, I think, 2005, 2006, the CDC came out and said that we need better education for the general public and medical professionals on MECFS. And I think now, what's that sort of, you know, 18 years later, I don't know if we've done a great job on getting that education out and about. I think people are still frustrated having to explain what's going on in their lives constantly. And whether or not the spotlight being thrown on to chronic fatigue syndrome now as a result of long COVID, is this a way for people to get the support, get the recognition, get the research, get the funding, all of those things that they deserve? So are you living with MECFS? What's the reality for you of day-to-day life? like on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour.
Michelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. Already texts on this coming through, Nick, this saying, I've been living with Emmy now for 10 years. A whole decade of my life has gone. And like a quarter of a, thou- a, quarter of a million other Australians, I continue to fight for my life. The Australian government has only invested $4 million into medical research in the last 20 years. I don't know if that's true or not, but we'll ask some of our professionals in just a moment. Doctors often gaslight ME patients. Families accuse people of living with ME of being lazy and attention-seeking. There are no treatments. The guidelines are still recommended and outdated. That harmful graded exercise therapy. People with ME continue to take harm on themselves as the only way out. ME needs to be taken seriously. I'm just trying to imagine what it would be like going through a condition like ME-CFS and then having telling pe- people telling you it's all in your head or just get out of bed, just go for a run, you're going to be fine. Having it dismissed wholesale, I mean, the depression, um, it's just awful, awful situation. Jennifer Bailey-Tuck was diagnosed with ME-CFS 23 years ago, although it might be a little longer now, I think, Jennifer. This, that might have been the last time I spoke to you. I think it was 23 years. But I guess that was a diagnosis some time ago. Can you talk us through what you were feeling at the time and how you went about actually getting a diagnosis? So at the time, it was a diagnosis of exclusion. Um, I went from being a perfectly healthy teenager who was very active and sporty to um, being bedbound. I don't really remember a lot of the time, but I remember even walking around a grocery store would, with my mum would put me in bed for a number of days afterwards. Um, over the course of a couple of years, I managed to get enough capacity back to return to full-time school. And... Um, I I guess I didn't really understand enough the condition myself at the time and thought it was all behind me. Um, There have been periods that I've been able to work full-time, part-time, but eight years ago my relapse was so bad that I had to leave work and haven't been able to work since or drive. Jennifer, back to when you were trying to get the diagnosis. I mean, Mm. what were doctors saying to you? Because obviously I think so many years ago your average GP might not have been on the cutting edge of understanding what you were going through. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know that there was a lot of confusion at the time about what it could be. And the um, I've actually had doctors um, say outright to me, chronic fatigue doesn't exist or ME-CFS doesn't exist, that's in your head. Um, and that was in one of the relapses that I had when I was 19. Um, and I went looking for help in the UK and it just wasn't there. I was quite fortunate that my diagnosis, I had to be re-diagnosed in Australia to be recognised here. And that diagnosis process was pretty straightforward. Straightforward, but yeah. I imagine exhausting to have to go through the process all over again. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, for me, while I can leave the house, um, if I was a, so I have a husband who's incredibly supportive and family and friends that are too, and they will help me leave the house. So I I don't drive anymore because my concentration doesn't allow me to. Um, And if I didn't have them, I would be stuck in the house. It'd be very difficult to leave. And leaving the house means for example, even this morning for this radio interview, I didn't get the kids ready for school this morning. My oh. husband did because I needed to conserve energy. I've had an energy drink just to get through this today and I'll have to rest afterwards. So all of those things where telehealth wasn't an, an option back then did mean a lot of um, recovery after getting ready for appointments. 
Jennifer, first of all, thank you so much because I know how much energy it takes in order to do this interview and even leading into it, we were just sort of texting each other and not speaking a lot in order for you to conserve energy. So thank you so much and we won't take up too much Pleasure. more of your you time. Know, it's great to be able to, to get a voice out there. So thank you for the opportunity. What needs to change, do you think? I mean, we're talking about the fact that long COVID has now thrown a spotlight onto MECFS and there's a belief all of a sudden that mm. what you're living is real. I could imagine that that would be both frustrating <laughs> but yeah. also give you some sense of relief. I don't know. Does it help you in any way? Um, I have a cautious optimism that is probably balanced with a, a hefty dose of pessimism. Um, we've been historically ignored um, for years and I still see long COVID patients in the context of MECFS um, being prescribed things like graded exercise therapy and CBT. And so I would really love to see the, um, the treatment guidelines updated. Um, I would love for people to to believe their friends, because uh, as you said, being tired is, you know, a real sort of badge of honour in our society. And mm. this is not that. This goes way beyond that. So I, I would love to see some of those changes understood. Jennifer, just to duck back a bit, you know, I think many people mm -hmm. understand that MECFS, it's about a physical exhaustion as well. Yes. You mentioned your concentration. Could you talk a little bit uh, what you experience on, on the mental side of it? Yeah, sure. So, um, I, I can actually wear myself out mentally as well as physically. So if I have to do a lot of, um, for example, my children need advocacy for various reasons. If I have to do some research for that, then that can also take a lot of energy out of me. Um, I can't concentrate on things for long periods of time. So I used to be an avid reader. I'd read two or three books a week. And now I'm, you know, lucky if I get through a book a month, you know, it's, um, I've, yeah, I don't even have the concentration for reading or a conversation sometimes. Gosh, it just affects every part of your life. Just finally, Jennifer, mm. the impact it has on your family as well. You were speaking about your kids, your husband and people that I've spoken to in the past have said it puts pressure on relationships because of the care needed. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, my husband is incredibly supportive and I'm so lucky to have him. Um, he works um, really hard you know he is the only income um, for our family and that's tricky and my kids haven't known me well so um, or my husband my son doesn't remember me being well I'm lucky to have kids a lot of people in this position are unable to have children um, because of the the fatigue and the care that goes into raising kids but we try and balance it out and I think my kids get more of me because I'm home so I, I don't know it, it's there's a lot of guilt Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. We've taken up plenty Pleasure. of it, so thank you. We appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. Have a great day. Jennifer Bailey-Tuck. Lost for words. Nick, a, a little bit. And, and look, I'm seeing it on the text line as well. Someone, your, your message from oh. Simone that we read out before, someone's texted in saying that letter was a kick in the gut. So wake up about the MECFS effects. And what Jennifer was saying, you know, uh, imagine having to take reading out of your life, having to, to, to delineate when you are able to look after family. What an awful situation. Take out work, relationships, reading, all of those things. And on top of it, not to have people believe you. I can't imagine how frustrated, how angry, how disappointed you would feel. This is the Conversation Hour.
on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. And it is MECFS Awareness Week. Today in particular Mm. is the day where people would like to raise awareness of those who are living with what we know as chronic fatigue syndrome. We will get to your calls in just a moment. Our number's 1300 222774. But when we talk about being believed, when we talk about the frustration and the spotlight that needs to be thrown onto this. A man that knows this all too well. Dr Richard Schloerfell has an order of Australia in chronic fatigue and in infectious diseases. He's the medical director of Emerge Australia and Richard, every time I speak to you about this, I am to be honest, I'm in awe of the work that you do and I think mainly because of the belief and the time that you give people. The week, the awareness day that we have today Are we making any inroads, do you think? Uh, Good morning. Thank you for asking me to come on this program. I think we are. It's a very slow process. I've been involved with MECFS probably over 40 years since I saw my first patient. And the last 26 years, I've devoted my career and my research and my clinical care to patients with this condition. And I think because we've had this COVID epidemic and we know that 250,000 Australians have ME-CFS, uh, 75% of them are women, 25% of them are housebound and bedridden, that's 60,000 people. Oh, my goodness. And then suddenly we've got this long COVID condition that's followed COVID. And then long COVID is a post-infection fatigue syndrome because we diagnose it three months after COVID. But many of those patients will have very similar symptoms and many of them will progress to what we call ME-CFS. So that's fatigue and post-exertional pain and all the things that your listeners of the lady you're just speaking to is classic of this condition. And she's, I would call that mild ME-CFS because she's actually got a bit of a life. But many of these have no life and they are in their bedrooms and they get family members and carers look after them and uh, they're very disabled and the condition is a real condition it's not imagined they didn't create they're not just tired and they're not just Mm. they actually have a biological inflammatory response disrupting cell function causing all these symptoms and uh, and the symptoms can be varied and many and most of them only about 10% of patients with ME-CFS actually have a doctor. Richard, in your time doing the research on this and your time that you've spent looking at how much funding is coming through from the government, is it being taken seriously? We had a text in earlier suggesting that very little money has come through in the past 20 years. Look, there's very little money coming through and some of the money goes to places that I find incredulous because they go to psychiatrists and who are looking at graded exercise programs or cognitive behaviour therapy for treatment or they go to clinics where they're not looking at the complexity or the clinical picture. So what little money has come through in the past 20 years, I'm not saying has been poorly distributed, but it definitely hasn't come to the area where we need to be clinically working with patients working out exactly what's wrong with them and then develop a process of diagnosis leading hopefully to some sort of evidence-based treatment which there which is lacking worldwide we have a guideline in australia that's 20 years old that doesn't reflect exactly what we're dealing with in this 24 you know in the 21st century 
that what Jennifer was saying earlier about going to a doctor and many years ago now, but her, uh, that doctor saying to it her, MECFS doesn't exist. I mean, we're talking about educating people mm-hmm. like Rochelle and I. We're talking about educating you know Australian citizens onto what this means. Have we done a good job of educating doctors? Uh, no. Not really either. I mean, some doctors will have that opinion. I think most doctors, I'm a GP, so I work with GPs. I'm a member of the College of General Practitioners as a senior colleague and as a lecturer. And I lecture on this to GPs and they can't wait to hear the lectures. They can't wait to have some information to actually take back to their surgeries and start working with a few patients with some of the ideas that I can impart. But in general, this is not taught as an undergraduate uh, illness. It's definitely not taught generally at conferences or meetings unless you have a particular interest in it. And I think I don't I don't think doctors are so much dismissive as just not understanding the condition. Therefore, they don't have a sense of what can they do for this person. And they call them the heart sink patients. So the doctor heart heart sinks as the patient walks in the door and generally say, I can't help you, go away, I don't know what to do. And there isn't any specialist direction you can t- send people either. There's no specialty of ME, CFS or chronic fatigue syndrome. There are of long COVID, but those mm. clinics that we set up for long COVID are now closing down and we may have up to 300,000 Australians currently with long COVID. So... That's a lot of people that aren't receiving adequate diagnosis. It's just shocking. Uh, It actually is hard to get your head around it. Dr Richard Schlerfeld is with you. He's an order of Australian Chronic and Infectious Diseases and the Medical Director at Emerge Australia. While we have you, Richard, we might take some calls. But before we do, I want to read Janet's text. And it says, I grieve for my friend who has ME and has had it for 25 years. She's witty, smart, and I speak to her only once a year because speaking causes her days of brain fog. This disease has meant many people are lost to us and to our society. Louise is in Ballarat. Good morning, Louise. What did you want to say? Oh, good morning. This is so fantastic that this is getting out onto the air. So thank you, thank you, guys. Um, I've had a diagnosis of years now and one main problem that's come about through that um, I would say that I was on the mild to severe depending on how careful I am Um, the the medical system the doctor I've got now I went through three doctors to get to this one to actually say, say she could try and help me the others went their hands up in the air we can't help you, which was, as you can imagine, uh, gut-wrenching and you start to think you're going crazy. Mm. Um, And anyway, I got to one doctor and she said, I think you have chronic fatigue syndrome. So then we had to find out all about that. That was years ago now. And um, I'm on a pension. I'm actually on a carer's pension because my, um, my partner has problems and if I wanted, if he was getting better, here's a, here's a conundrum. Oh, you would lose if, that. So if, the benefit, the pension is not that. for you. I won't get a pension. So I won't get financial support NDIS. is huge. Louise, exactly. can I just put that back? So we do want to, I totally, I want to put that back to Richard and I want to get through mm. as many calls today as we can. But having not only the medical diagnosis, Richard, but then for people like Louise that then need the financial support, whether it be a pension, whether it be oh. some kind of assistance? Well, the nature of MECFS, it's a fairly um, obscure 
diagnosis. So if the doctors don't understand the condition and a patient is so fatigued and brain fogged, etc., and all those are real things. They're actually caused by inflammation in the brain and cellular dysfunction leading to those symptoms. It's very difficult for a patient to apply for a pension, a disability pension, when you haven't got a defined diagnosis. And usually you need two things. You need a GP who believes you, who's worked you up and will write a report to support that and possibly a specialist to verify it. Now, those two things are so hard to find, even though most patients who are moderate to severe with MECFS should be on a disability pension, 100%, if that's their requirement and they're not financially secure. Or they can apply through some sort of pension through their superannuation. It's extremely rare anyone within uh, with MECFS gets NDIS because, again, how do you define their level of disability? Because NDIS is about their disability and the pension's about their illness. And both are very difficult to get. My patients are fortunate enough because they're used to me. I think Centrelink sees my name and I write my whole spiel to go with the patient. And generally, most of them will end up with a disability pension. But it takes twice as long as a normal patient with other sort of defined illness. And then they ask, where's the specialist letters of support? Now, I'm fortunate, again, I have a group of specialists who support me, but they refer the patients to me as opposed to them referring, me referring to them unless I want some If it wasn't for you, then that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, Richard, I know we've actually had a couple of texts coming through saying the work that Emerge does has been life-saving and, and they've bounced around the medical system with quite a lot of difficulty on that. Just to uh, take another call at the moment, actually, Kimberly Price is on the line. Kimberly, of course, well-known from Hack on Triple J. Good morning. Good morning. How are you going? Good. You've been very open um, uh, talking about what it's been like getting diagnosed and living with MECFS. Yeah, definitely. I did a package on Hack not too long ago when a lot of the uh, awareness was more pronounced because of the studies into long COVID and there was obviously links between long COVID and chronic fatigue. And so I did do a first-person account uh, on Triple J Hack and I was terrified about how it would be received. But it was received well, which was really encouraging because I think that is a testament to this kind of changing uh, viewpoint people have of chronic fatigue. It's interesting you say you were terrified. So obviously you've bounced against a few people saying, why haven't you gone for a run? Why don't you get out of bed? Just uh, that disbelief that we're hearing from people calling in and on the text line. Absolutely. I have been told by doctors that it doesn't exist. For context, I was diagnosed in uh, 2015. So seven years now. And I am very, very fortunate. You know, I can work, but I do get bouts where you know, I'm bedridden. Um, I have to call in for a, sick for a week on end, you know, and I'm in bed that entire week. So it is still real. Mine sort of comes up in, in flare-ups. And when I have those flare-ups and go to doctors, you know, many times I've been told, maybe you should take some iron supplements. Maybe you should, uh, you know, get a mental health um, check and see, you know, that you're not just depressed and things like that, which is a real kick in the gut when, you know, that kind of mental health toll that that takes on you to be told, you know, maybe you you have depression or something like that. I can't tell you how hurtful that has been, you know, as a young 20-year-old facing those um, things from someone who, you know, is a doctor who who has beauty qualifications. Before we go back to Dr Richard Schlerfel, 
Kimberly, as a young person, you know, and I'll, we'll talk to Richard about the general age when you get diagnosed, but so many texts, which we'll try and read some of them in just a moment, of from parents saying, you know, my kids were diagnosed when they were 13 or whatever age. It was young. So you're in the prime of your life, you know, and you've got an incredible job and gig and opportunity. Do your friends understand? Yeah, I'm very fortunate. And, you know, if friends don't understand, I probably won't be friends with them for very long kind of thing. It is something, you know, obviously in my line of work, we're very lucky. I get to go to lots of gigs and things like that. But, you know, if I've had a big day of work and I've got a gig that night or I'm out for dinner with friends or something, I'll generally tell them if I can't make it. And they're pretty pretty good at understanding that. I'm pretty transparent about it, obviously. Um, I've been on radio talking about it. Um, And so they do understand, you know, it's not just tiredness. I think that's one of the big things that a lot of people assume is like, I'll get a better night's sleep. You know, it's not that I'm just tired. It's that my joints are aching. I can't think straight. You know, sitting on a couch is even tiring. So it's not just that I need more sleep. It's that I literally need to rest my whole body in a state Mm. of, well, complete rest, you know, your mind, your body and, um, and not even just shut eye, you know, like just not even thinking about things. So once you get that sort of energy back up, then you can, you know, make those appointments with your friends and, and have a bit more of a life. But it is really a day by day, week by week. How am I going? What have I done in the past? What am I got coming up to work out what you can manage and what you can't? Kimberly, thank you so much for chatting about this this morning. I, I think the more we hear these first-person accounts, the better we can get that understanding, uh, the more we can work out where we need to go next. And and back to Dr Richard Schleffel, a few people have been calling and saying, how do we even begin to find a doctor to support us? And any, any suggestions on how people could make that first step? Oh, look, I think there's two things, parts to that, that answer. First is, The education process for doctors, primarily GPs, because GPs are the best people to deal with a chronic illness like this, is education of the GPs. And uh, I've started that process with some colleagues, and next week we are running a three-hour lecture program through the College of GPs and GPCE, and multiple doctors will come to this lecture course, which is over three days, and there's other courses being given as well. But that's a start, is just teaching GPs a process of understanding how do they set up their practice to deal with these patients, how do they make a diagnosis, what management do they need to do and are there any specific treatments they can offer. It's an education process. That needs to be extended into the general training of GPs as well and undergraduates because if we don't teach young doctors who are in training that this disease exists, then we don't teach it to general practitioners It's only in postgraduate training that GPs may be lucky enough to find someone who gives them a bit of information about it. To find a GP who will take this on is very difficult because we've got 250,000 patients. We know with MECFS in Australia, 10% currently have a doctor. Some of them are bedridden. How do those patients actually start approaching a random doctor and expect to get a diagnosis when they've got a five or 10 or 15 minute appointment. So it's a, it's a, what I'm trying to do is re-educate so that, you know, the medical profession to give people more time. If they have someone presenting with this, give them evidence-based knowledge about testing and treatments that are available. As I said, we don't have a, a registered guideline for this as yet, but we've got some directives 
that are being written by various GP groups and by Emerge particularly and some of the work we're trying to do. And there is complex research happening in the moment in Australia, basically funded by big borrowing, stealing some funds as opposed to getting yeah, government absolutely. or whatever. So, so I, I, the answer to that is I think it's extremely difficult. Someone presents to a GP or a doctor, they probably won't get support, they probably won't get diagnosed oh. at this moment. Richard, are you happy to stay with us? We've got so many calls, we oh, wouldn't yeah. mind getting oh, through no. a few of them. Abs- that's wonderful. Yeah, Great. Right. Dr. Richard Schlerfel is with you. It is International Awareness Day for people living with MECFS. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Nick Healy joining you from ABC Shepparton. And today is the International Awareness Day for those that are living with MECFS. Dr Richard Schlerfell is with you, Order of Australia on Chronic Infectious Diseases and the Medical Director at Emerge. We're going to try and get through some of these calls, but I have to mm. tell you, Richard, I've lost track of the amount of texts that are coming in that start with the words, thank you so much, for this program, it means the world to me. One in particular here is from a mum who's 13-year-old, showed signs seven years ago. It's taken them so long in order to get that support. She talks about many things, but just one little part of her text is that they went to the movies last weekend. It caused him to have to rest for three days afterwards. She's now his full-time carer. That You don't often get so many thank yous for talking about this and when we you know when you go through the sheer numbers of people that are now currently living with chronic fatigue syndrome and that as a result of long covid will be living with chronic fatigue syndrome it doesn't feel like you're getting the urgency (laughs) that you need it feels more drastic and it feels like something needs to be done really quickly oh absolutely i mean it's there's an enormous urgency. If we've got 500,000 Australians with MECFS or long COVID or more, we don't know because it's not a notifiable illness, so we don't have any idea of the real numbers. We make these guesstimates which are reasonably accurate from United Nations figures and extrapolating from people turning up to casualties and hospitals. But basically, we've got a huge body of people disabled, their carers can't work so you're taking all these people out of the community taking people out of the workforce you've got a group of disabled people who are abandoned to a certain extent by the medical profession but by the community in general and then there's very little funding going towards you know correct research proper guidelines evidence-based treatments and centers and specialist support and gp training to actually this is a burden of illness that's enormous and it's almost totally ignored. And Richard, even though long COVID has brought a certain urgency to the point that we're doing graded exercise programs and cognitive behaviour therapy in the clinics to treat people. Now, that's outdated, dangerous, probably, therapy that was outmoded and it's not recommended any guideline for MECFS anyway for the past 10, 15 years. So we're not using the evidence to actually diagnose and treat these people but generally you can't even get to the point of a diagnosis most doctors will not even if they diagnose oh you've got chronic fatigue syndrome go home nothing we can do now if that's what the patients are experiencing and that's what i hear and i know why the patients are saying thank you because they're being hurt 
Richard, we'll get back to you in one second. I, I mm. do want to work through some of the calls we've got. Kelly yeah. in Ballarat. Kelly, it's your daughter who's been living with MECFS. What's been the experience? Yeah, thank you so much for taking the call. Um, I've got three daughters and George is my middle daughter. She's had chronic fatigue for five years now. She's 16. Um, yeah, it's been life altering for not only her, but our family. And every single comment that you have read out or I've heard is absolutely true. Um, the challenge of all of her symptoms, you know, the brain fog, the, the heart racing, the extreme fatigue, the nausea, 24-7 nausea um, and all of that. Um, the next hardest thing has been getting people to believe us and help us and it's been an incredibly challenging time. She's, she's, we've found a, a, a pretty good place for her right now, but it's not full-time life. It's, it's part-time school. It's n no time with friends. Um, you know, I work from home full-time now because I need to, to be with her and, um, and, and it's, and it's taken a massive toll on her mental health. Yeah. And, but then that's, has become the thing that people focus on oh. and think that her symptoms are about. And so then it's a battle of please believe us, please help us, please see past the anxiety is because of what she is experiencing. And, um, you know, and I think as a parent, I, I quite often feel really powerless and quite mm. lost, but then I have to be strong because, you yeah. know, you've got to, provide some um, positivity for my daughter and to try and help her see a, a future that is bright and that she can manage. Um, and I do see that, but, um, you know, it's just a constant battle all the time. I'm exhausted and I, I don't imagine. have chronic fatigue, yes. <laughs> I can, so I can then only I think of... imagine, Kelly. <clears throat> I, just, I just wanted to ask something really quickly. When, when you were sure. looking around for doctors, when you were trying to um, find support yep. for your daughter, were you able yep. to find that in Ballarat or was it more difficult um, being in a regional hmm. area? Did you have to go to a metro area? No, it wasn't difficult finding a doctor, but it was difficult Good. finding somebody that would believe us. Yeah, okay. So, um, but once we, we found, we've got a wonderful GP actually, who's amazing. Um, but, you know, just every conceivable test under the sun and, you know, by process of elimination, they said, yeah. you know, that she's got chronic fatigue. And then absolutely, I, I can't remember which person recently just said, once she was diagnosed with chronic fatigue, I felt like we just got popped into that little box of, okay, you just need to pace. Yeah. And there's not really and then much the whole, we can do Then the work you, starts, you know? as Richard's been saying, Kelly, you sound like an incredible mum. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I actually wrote down what you just said then, please help us please believe us and it's incredible that that's what you have to think and that that's the reality again another text that says thank you thank you for this show but this is interesting it says i'd like to see the name change so that the word fatigue isn't in there it's just so different you hear the word fatigue how you're supposed to react and i reckon that's a really interesting point too because fatigue feels common it feels kind of it sounds i'm a bit fatigued i'm a bit run down yeah I mean, it makes it feel a bit more easy to be dismissive of let's go to another read 
regional area. Lucinda Clark is in a, a part of Gippsland. And Lucinda, you're in your sort of mid to late 50s. You were diagnosed about 10 yep. years ago. I mean, we were yeah. saying, hearing things like, please help us, please believe us. How long did it take? Please help me. Yeah. <laughs> please long? listen. Please. I still don't get listened to. Um, I, I've given up on doctors. Um, are you there? Yeah, we're listening. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. Oh, it's all right. It's, uh, my, my phone's been playing up and That's I'm okay. in the middle of this sticks at the moment. Um, I was diagnosed about 10 years ago after seeing many doctors um, and, you know, I even got kicked out of an office one day and I could barely walk. Um, and someone in the hallway grabbed me and said, look, I want to see you. And um, she did, it took about a year to do lots of tests and then diagnosed with me with chronic fatigue and said, look, I'm sorry, but there's nothing I could do about it. But then she, she had to leave because she had um, more children. And so I went from doctor to doctor and I have had no help. And I have no um, body believe me, go and see a psychiatrist, um, you know, um, you know, make an effort. Uh, oh, I can't even think of the words now, but it's just so, um, you know, it's such a debilitating illness. And then you hear people, um, just everyday people too. I've lo- I lost all my friends too. Um, just not believing you and not listening to you when you know you are so sick and you know it's not it's not a mental health issue mm. because I have mental health issues and I'm not ashamed of that. No, so nor, if, nor should you be, Lucinda. Mental but, health, what? Yeah. No, of course I shouldn't. I no, can't help those. No, but so I can't. I mean, I, the dismissiveness of being kicked out of a doctor's surgery and only because someone had seen you coming and going in a hallway, even having someone to listen to you. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, she just, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think that's what happened. Um, I I know I didn't make an appointment with her, but I remember she said to me, come and see me. And at the time I was married and it was, my husband would come with me. And because I was struggling, because I didn't know what was wrong, because I felt like I just had the flu all the time. And it's having that and, one person um, that believes you, listen to, like you said, and I guess that's a lot of what Richard's work does. Do you feel like you've got the support now, Lucinda? I mean, today no. is it? No. <laughs> I have got, um, the last few years I um, got in, involved in an organisation helping me and so I've got a support worker and um, she definitely believes me and I've an old friend I got in touch with, uh, you know, a couple of Good. people now believe me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a huge step forward, isn't it? Either. Oh, Lucinda, people we wish you all the best. It when you're sick. Yeah, I know. You know. You're not alone. Um, you are not alone. There is a full board of calls of people that are saying this unfortunately the same thing we will point you towards and for people listening who we can't get through today at two o'clock today there's actually an hour-long symposium that emerge are holding and richard schlerfell who's with you now will be able to answer some questions from patients it's just one of the many things that emerge are doing as a way to shine a spotlight onto what is mecfs there is no way richard we will unfortunately be able to get through all of these calls 
calls. It feels like we need an awareness day every day. And the theme for this year is don't push harder, stop, rest and pace. How important are those key words? Oh, it's extremely important. This condition is a cellular fatigue. So what we understand about this is something triggers it, you get inflammation in your body. And I'll, I'll go back to what that patient said about why are we calling it fatigue. There's two components. There's inflammation of the brain and muscles, myalgic encephalomyelitis, that's ME. And then chronic fatigue. So the fatigue is what you experience as a result of this inflammatory response. But the hallmark of this condition is PEM, post-exertional malaise, that absolute fatigue, shattered feeling, and you've gone from the bedroom to the bathroom and back again. All these patients, all these people are talking about that. So if you push yourself past the point of your your energy capacity in your cells, you'll experience a, a crash, an extreme fatigue period. So if you're feeling tired and fatigued and you push yourself past that, you'll collapse. So if you start to feel that, if you've got ME-CFS, you stop, you rest, and you have to pace yourself. And you can, if you can do 80% of what you think you can do or your capacity, you won't have these profound crashes that all ME-CFS patients describe. If you do graded exercise and therapy and some of these things, mm. you're guaranteed to make your condition much worse. So Doc- this is what, because the cells aren't allowing you to do this. This is a cellular yeah. disorder due to inflammation. And that's why... And normal test, normal pathology doesn't explain it, but the science that we're doing and some of the science I'm involved in at Macquarie University is actually leading to correct understanding of this illness. So we're, and this has all been brought about by long COVID because long COVID has given us an insight to this illness. But and Dr. Richard Schlerfer, we might leave you there because we're going to talk long COVID before we run out of time. But thank you so much for your time this morning. Medical Director of Emerge Australia. As Rochelle was just saying, there will be a symposium at 2pm by Emerge Australia with Dr Richard. You can actually find out a few details via their website uh, and make sure that you can get a few answers there. Absolutely. Well, let's now go to Associate Professor Lou Irving, who's the Royal Melbourne Hospital, and he's a respiratory physician and working on the long COVID ward. And Dr Schlerfeld just made a reference there to long COVID and the greater awareness and understanding that we're getting of ME-CFS. I guess, Lou, what do you draw from the research of, I guess, what we call chronic fatigue syndrome for those who you're treating with long COVID? Uh, good morning, and, and thank you for having me. Um, so our, our experience has been in a clinic over the last three years, and we've been learning from our patients and from our experience. And the group of people we've seen, in general, do get better. You know, the large majority get better, and they don't necessarily end up with what Richard was describing long-term. Although in the short term, you know, in the first 12 months, that they certainly have a fatigue that was very similar to what Richard was describing. You know, if they do too much, they fall in a heap, a boom or bust type um, condition. But I think the reassuring thing for the patients we've seen is Mm. the majority get better. Um, they require a lot of support. Um, they need to be listened to and their symptoms need to be validated. It's interesting you say 12 months. I mean, that is, I know that is short term when we're talking about chronic diseases, but that's an incredibly long time for someone to go through, you know, symptoms like you're describing. 
It, look, it is. And, and and I think we need to consider new models of care and, and the parliamentary um, committee, you know, is thinking about this. You know, we, we need to have models where there's short-term um, employment support, um, you know, financial support. Um, mm. Certainly, certainly, um, the public and and the families of people with long COVID, you know, need to be reassured that um, their loved one, in fact, has got a real condition. Uh, but luckily, uh, uh, unlike MECF um, chronic fatigue, it, it probably isn't lifelong. In most cases, it improves. What I found fascinating during the week that many people, including disability advocates, are calling for long COVID to be treated as or to be recognised as a disability. And because alongside that comes the support that you need and get. Would, would that be a big step forward, not just for long COVID sufferers, but for also for those who are living with ME, CFS, so that you do get all the wraparound services that you need? Uh, absolutely. And, and I'm just, if you've got a second, I'm, I'm just looking at, at a slide from a study of uh, Danielle Hitch and her co-workers at the Western Hospital who interviewed about 40 people with long COVID and there were seven sort of uh, universal themes and the first was listen to and respect my lived experience. The second was understand the impact of COVID on every part of my life. The third was don't jump to conclusions or make assumptions about how it affects my health. The fourth was track my recovery and adjust my supports accordingly. The fifth was help me access and navigate between the services I need. The sixth was support us to keep connected with our friends, family and community. And the final was give us cutting edge support based on the latest evidence. Mm. And I think that just sums up the, the, the whole condition of long COVID. And Lou, I'd say it almost sums up the experiences we're hearing from people with yeah. MECFS and what they're looking for as well. Associate Professor Lou Irving, thank you so much for your insights this morning. And just while we're talking about that support, one of the texts coming through saying support can't just come from loved ones and individuals. Support needs to be from government, medical system. We need financial support. I just love this line, Rochelle. This is not a personal problem. It's a community problem. Absolutely. And this, I also wonder, this text says, I'm wondering why long COVID gets so much hype in the media and MECFS so little. Thank you, ABC Radio, on the Conversation Hour for today. That's from Matthew, who's in queue. Let's have a chat to Jenny. Jenny's in East Malvern. Good morning, Jenny. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm just interested to hear from Dr. Lou Irving. I'm very pleased to hear that uh, most of their patients are recovering. But I suggest that we need to look at what's happening overseas because they are ahead of us with long COVID uh, so that they're looking at patients who got sick three years ago and uh, their research is further advanced. And it suggests that a, a greater number are not mm. getting better but also um, not all patients can make it to a clinic. So we know that 25% of people with MECFS cannot make it to a clinic. 
So That's right. And this text, it says people recover from long COVID. You don't necessarily mm, recover mm. from MECFS. And you're right too, Jenny, in that we need to look overseas. I mean, Dr. Richard Schlerfeld, he said the same thing. I mean, he was saying, Nick, and this is what, when you've got one of the best in the business, I mean, he's just the most inspiring <laughs> man. He really is. When he's saying we're 20 years behind, then that's got to be raising some pretty big alarm bells. Big alarm bells. And the other line he used was beg, borrow and steal the funding. The, the fact that the money that they've got to do this research, research which has the potential to be genuinely life-changing for a lot of Australians, they have to find clever ways of getting this cash together. It's just not coming in, in the ways they need it. We couldn't get through all of the calls. We couldn't get through all of the texts to all of the people that have said thank you. I guess we want to thank you. You know, it would have taken you a lot of time and energy in order to pick up the phone and to be a part of this. If you didn't get your question answered, Emerge, as we said, Emerge wow. are holding a, a symposium today and Emerge do incredible work. If you're listening to this and you think, where can I get help? Where can I get assistance? Then one of the better best places to go to is to emerge to their website but their symposium today you can jump on and Richard's doing Q&A's there because I feel like the main thing that I've taken away from today Nick is that people need someone to listen to them you know that need someone to believe them and they need to know where to go and my heart just breaks for all of these family members out there. So much so. And, and how many times today have we heard people say, doctors told me it doesn't exist. Doctors told me to get out of the office. Just someone to say, yes, I hear you. I understand what you're going through. I can't understand it on an individual level, but I can give you some like information now and answer a few questions. Wow. As I said, and as I've written down, please help us. Please believe us. Well, I just won't forget that. Nick Healy, always joining you from ABC Shepparton. Have a lovely and safe weekend. Take care and we'll speak soon.